welcome to Healthcare Du Jour, where we dish up and digest the latest in healthcare. For the next 30 minutes, sit back as we bring you insight, commentary, and discussion on trending topics to the table, all expertly served up by our host and his guests. Healthcare Du Jour is brought to you by Carium, the telehealth platform enabling healthcare's digital transformation, helping you care for people within the fabric of their daily lives. Now here's your host, Matt Fisher. Welcome back, and thank you for joining as we dive into the hottest topics in healthcare. I'm your host, Matt Fisher. On the menu today is Cindy Gaines, Chief Clinical Transformation Officer at Lumion. Cindy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, Cindy, what I always like to do at the beginning of every show is give my guests more of a chance to provide an introduction in terms of who they are and what they do. So the floor is yours. Great. I appreciate that. Again, thank you for having me here today. I'm Cindy Gaines, and as you said, I'm the Chief Clinical Transformation Officer for Lumion. It's a wordy title but it basically means that I'm the clinical leader in our organization. I, I'm a nurse, I've, I've been a nurse for 35 years and I've spent the majority of my career on the health system side. I'm leading nursing and quality, uh, vice president for Pop Health and even a president of a medical group at one time. And I um, joined the Lumion team at about a year and a half ago and I really come in my role in many ways as a consultant type of role. I serve not only as a, um, as a, uh, a person in my organization who's been there and done it. So I've, I've resource a subject matter expert in our company and guiding and directing our company. But I also serve as that consultant role to our health systems and our, our customers because I understand their pain points. And I kind of know where to say, have you thought about doing it this way? And it just really changes that conversation because I come in as having been there and, and been in that trenches with them. And it really helps to open that conversation. So I, I feel like I have the greatest job in the whole wide world and I feel blessed to be here. So, so I think I'm going to actually have two more questions about your background then. So first, you know, kind of, as you said, you've been in nursing for a long time. You know, what first got you into wanting to become a nurse and get into the healthcare industry? Oh, it's a long time ago, but I would say at its core, I just always felt like it was my calling. That was the calling God placed on my heart back when I was a teenager. And I went right out of high school into nursing school at the University of Michigan. And it's been an incredible journey of um, now we're leading, um, being a caregiver at the bedside, which was just such an, um, an awesome opportunity, but it's also been leading in nursing. And sometimes I have people say, oh, you're not a nurse anymore. And I'm like, Nope, I am, because what I get to do now really impacts patients at a broader level, and um, and I still get to touch patient lives in that way. So, yeah, it's it's been an amazing journey. So, Yeah, I like the way you just framed that. So kind of what spurred you to transition to a new way of being able to practice nursing? And, you know, as you're kind of saying, move more into the consulting side and being able to help with the, you know, suspect the kind of the larger, bigger picture of the industry. You know, when you're when you're in the trenches and you're doing the work, it's sometimes hard to step back from that and see that there's other things that we could do or other ways of looking at it. And I think the opportunity I had, um, even just stepping out of the health system, was to you step back and take a deep breath and go, okay, what else can we do here? And so when I had the opportunity, when I was introduced to Lumion um, back, as I said, I've been with Lumion about a year and a half. When I was introduced, what I saw was this opportunity to really change the way we do care and to free up our caregivers to focus on that the care they've been the care that they came in to do we came into whether we're a nurse or 
any type of caregiver at the bedside or at the front lines. We did it because we wanted to take care of patients. And too often we've kind of buried ourselves over the years in a lot of things that need to get done, but they actually kind of take away from providing care. And what I saw when I came to Lumion was we can do something different and we can make it easier. I am so in. Let me let me become part of this. So I think that freedom to step back has really helped me to to see things in a different way. Yeah, and when you're talking about being able to free up the caregivers and the clinicians and allow you know the, the clinicians to refocus and re-energize on what they want to be doing, what does that actually mean? What are you what are you focusing on? Absolutely. You know, when we think about when I think about um, we talk about care coordination and and coordinating care, and we often make that a person's job. I, I had a team at one point who reported to me and they were care coordinators and they were out there working with patients and coordinating their care and doing things, but we threw people at it. And that's kind of what we do have done over the years of, oh, we need to, there's a new rule that says we need to call somebody 24 hours after they've been discharged, give it to somebody to do, we, we or give that to this person to call, give that this person to mail that, we're constantly putting things on our team to make it more personal, to um, to improve what we're doing with our patients. But what I would say is it's really difficult to scale. We have put so many things on our teams to do. We've actually burdened them down with all these things. So on my list is all the people I need to call and it's all the people I need to send this fax to. And I've got to send this medical record here and I've got to follow up with the lab. And we're doing all this follow-up. We we lose sight that there's a patient right there who needs our care. And um, they become, we don't want them to be another task on our list. We want them to be the focus. So when I talk about what I would say is care coordination is kind of broken because it it just, it's human focused and difficult to scale. And so we really have talked about in Lumion about care orchestration and how do we take some of these tasks off that way. So a physician said to me, mundane tasks. Let's take those tasks off of them, give that to automation to do. And again, giving back time to the caregiver to spend with the patient. So can you kind of maybe walk me through what a care orchestration model would look like? Uh, you know, because as you said, it's you know, having to handle all those mundane tasks is definitely overburdening and mm -hmm. driving a lot of clinicians, whether you're talking physicians, nurses, or others away from care delivery. So let me give you a real example, and it, I, it really, I think, sums it up well. And think of uh, think about being scheduled for surgery. Um, when you get scheduled for surgery, typically you're getting a phone call from, a, from some nurse who's calling you to do an intake. We're calling you because you've been scheduled for surgery, and I have all these questions I want to ask you. And then I get those questions answered, and I'm entering that into the medical record. And then I'm taking that information. I'm, I'm consulting with the provider to say, what labs do we want to do? Um, what's the risk level of this patient? Are they high risk? Are they low risk? And we're all pushing you through our, basically we have a process to get you ready for surgery, that pre-op process. We're pushing you through our pre-op process. Now think about approaching that a little bit differently. So when I talk about orchestration is the patient scheduled for surgery and that order sends a signal to Lumion that says, patient's been scheduled for surgery. And we send the patient uh, their, their intake question to take to do themselves. So when they, they fill out their questionnaire themselves, and then we write that information to the EMR. And then we can even risk stratify the patient based on their information. 
that they've given us, and we can say, oh, this is a low risk versus a high risk patient. And what we've done, and just that little bit there, and that's just a very short snippet of that, is you take a something that was a 30 minute call that this we a customer did with every patient, and it's common across our country. People either do it in person or on the phone. You just took a 30 minute call out. And what you did was you got that same information. You got it written into the EMR. No one had to write it in. And now the staff can, you got high risk and low risk. The low risk patients can continue to move through in a digital fashion. We're kind of comfortable with automation. We're kind of comfortable with um, digital, but that high risk patient or the patient who needs more help, you just freed up nurses to spend more time with that patient and give them the time that they need. Because what we do today is we kind of treat everybody the same. And when you treat everybody the same in a process, nobody gets their needs completely met. Because one person is going to get too much. They don't, I don't need this much contact. Another person who needs more help doesn't get it. What we do is say, hey, let's free you up, spend more time with that patient who needs more help, unless the patient needs less help, move through automated. Everybody's getting to the same point, but they get through in the fashion that's more personalized to them. And that's pretty powerful. And one, with one customer, we freed up um, 60, we gave them 66% efficiency in that process. Imagine that. Six, we freed up 67% of their time to spend with more patients. And that is pretty amazing. Yeah, and kind of, as you said, by allowing the patients who need the lighter touch to follow through more of the automated course, you know, I think we're also saying this, it then allows you to have more of that, you know, in-person or direct contact Mm -hmm. with the patients where they're going to, maybe they have more questions or they need more just direct interaction. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, even though you were saying like, you can't run everything, everyone through the same, you know, the same approach, which is, I definitely agree with that. It's you're starting from that same approach for everybody, but then you're branching a lot more quickly. Yes, you branch based on the on the patient need. My own father was, you know, he spent the last 20 years of his life blind. He And I've had people say, well, this won't work for everyone. No, it won't. You're absolutely right. But here's what does work. My father who was blind, who wouldn't have been able to do the form himself, what he has is he has someone who can work with him to get that same information, to get him to pre-op. But he gets a lot more attention because that's what he needed in that process which is what you want in this. You want him to have that more attention and it freed him up to have that. And that's what we need to do is give people what they need instead of giving everybody exactly the same. And I don't know if you have any data around this or maybe just a gut feeling on it, but when you're presenting the information to individuals to complete on their own, you know, through a survey or other mm-hmm. um kind of presentation of the questionnaire or the server, you know, the, the, whatever information you're trying to gather, do you, end, do you think you end up getting more accurate or more information than you might when someone is just trying to quickly get off the phone or get through a visit um, and answering questions in person that way? It's, it's, it's a funny question when you ask it like that, because what we're saying is people will be dishonest. <laughs> and I think inherently people are honest. And I actually think people are a little more honest when they answer the questions themselves. And I say that because, um, just a funny side, when a patient comes to the emergency room because they're having chest pain, one of the first questions you ask them if they're a smoker, and inevitably about half of them will say they're not. And when you they, they quit, when you ask them when they quit, they quit on the way to the hospital because they like having chest pain and it's cardiac. 
So um, people can get a little embarrassed to answer questions in person. And what you actually give them the opportunity is to be very honest. No one knows themselves better than the patient themselves. And whether I ask you on the phone, I ask you in person or ask you to fill it out, if I make it easy for you to do, you'll be honest. And if you're going to be a little bit dishonest, you know, we it, everybody can be. And um, but it doesn't change the course of it. So um, if there's a question they're uncomfortable asking, they'll leave it blank. If there's a question that they don't want to ask, answer quite, let's stop that. I'm going to call a timeout. I don't want to call people dishonest. Um, so let's just stop right there for a second. In the end, people are honest at their hearts and they'll answer the questions they're comfortable answering. And all we do is give them the opportunity to answer that in an easy fashion um, themselves. And actually, we don't find that they answer it any differently, whether they do it in person, they do it on the phone, or they do it themselves. And most people feel much more comfortable answering questions themselves at a time that's convenient than that random phone call you'll get in the middle of the day when someone says, hey, do you have 20 minutes to answer some questions for me? Most of us don't. We'll much rather answer that in the evening at a time that's convenient to ourselves. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I agree. It's not, I don't think people are trying to be dishonest so much as you're kind of saying it's sometimes you're embarrassed or you just don't want yeah. to have to, you know, vocalize it out loud to somebody. But if you're typing it in or writing it down, then then the presentation of that question comes across much differently. Uh, but also, you know, then sometimes it also goes to, because I know that, you know, I've had family members that would do this where you know, they would tell us and the family all this background information and be like, you need to tell that to your doctor. They'd go in and they'd tell the doctor only half the story because like, oh, they don't need to be worried about that. Yeah. Well, and that's, again, that's where it comes to asking questions. Um, you ask questions in a way that's very concrete with drop downs and not open-ended questions. When you add open-ended questions, and most organizations have learned this, their intakes are not open-ended. They're very specific. Do you have this? Yes or no. Do you have this? Yes or no. Um, and so if the easier you make it to answer, the easier it is to be um, very complete with how you answer that and not having to give you a story and a background, but just kind of create, you know, do you have, do you have a COPD? Yes or no. Yeah, no, as you said, it's, you want to make it, you know, and I think also that makes it easier as well, because then you don't feel like you don't see this like big box of now I've got to fill this up with something. It's, you know, you're just clicking through it and, you know, maybe where appropriate, you end up having to type a short answer, but it's not on every single question. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's it's, a, it's much less overwhelming when it's just a quick question and a drop down. When you ask a question, you have a big box you're supposed to fill in, you'll find people put that off. <laughs> so Yes. Yeah. And for those of you just joining, I'm talking with Cindy Gaines of Lumion, and we've been talking about care orchestration and, you know, kind of improving the flow so far up front with some of the initial intake. But Cindy, as you keep going through the process, where you know where else is care orchestration driving efficiency and driving change um, in terms of how that care experience occurs? And then, you know, I suspect creating more time for clinicians to be doing what they want to be doing and should be doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's just continue through that journey process of triage. You know, if you continue down that, there's there's a number of um, communications that have to go out to this to the patient as you get towards surgery. Where do I need to park? When should I stop eating or drinking? Um, when should I, you know, uh, what should 
who's my caregiver who's going to bring me to the hospital? And what ends up happening is there's teams of people typically um, stuffing information into envelopes or mailing it out or we're calling patients to communicate that information. And what I would say again is one of the key questions we're required in healthcare to ask a patient is how do you prefer to be communicated with? Do you prefer phone communication? Do you prefer text communication? Do you prefer mail? We ask those questions. And what we do is we take advantage of what they've said in their EMR, and we send that information to them in the manner that they requested it. So oftentimes it's by email or by text. So again, getting an, getting an email from my organization that has, where do I need to park? Um, when do I need to stop eating or drinking? saves a lot of time when that's done with automation. Again, it doesn't have to be a person sitting there writing an email, attaching items. It can be done with automation. The same with after surgery. It's very common. It's the standard that you're going to get a phone call within 24 to 48 hours. It's just, how are you doing? How, how's your pain? Again, think of, um, and it becomes difficult to get to that, to get to all those patients. And um, many of the patients are, I'm fine, I'm fine, I don't need anything. Well, why not send the patient a survey and ask them the same questions? A very quick survey that they can do in five minutes. You know, just like, how's your pain? What's your pain level? Are you taking your medications? Um, and then based on how they answer those questions, trigger a call from a nurse. So now I'm calling a patient who's either requested a call or based on how they've answered the questions, we've prioritized they need a call. But everybody got follow-up, everybody heard from their provider, but we prioritized who needed that personal phone call versus who needed a quick check-in. And again, how do we use automation to support that? Now that's just a pre-op process. We could apply that to outpatient, to a physician's office. It's looking for those opportunities where we have people doing things that automation could do it for them. Yeah, and I guess when you're talking about all the automation, is there a hurdle that you need to get over to maybe address potential mistrust or concern about shifting control away from, you know, someone doing it on a personalized basis to putting it more, you know, putting it in the control of, you know, a tool or other system, even though that is going to make someone happier and probably more satisfied with what they're doing at the end of the day. Yeah. It's funny. It, it's, it's a, it's kind of a, double-edged sword there when you the way you ask it because um there's people who say well will it does it cause the patient to not trust it as much and actually what i would say is um in many ways our patient population is wondering when healthcare is going to catch up with some of the automation we've kind of gotten used to really banking ourselves at our atms and checking ourselves in at airports we've gotten used to this throughout our life and yet healthcare does a lot of I'm cold calling you. I'm calling to see if you'll talk to me today. I'm following up. And what I would say is our, our patient population is ready for it. They're kind of waiting for us to catch up. And so um, I think they're ready. I would say in some ways, the trust is more on the health system side. And um, that there's a fear, I think, of automation. Because automation, when you think of it, it really comes out of manufacturing. And Automation became, you're replacing me with a robot. You're replacing me with something. And so when you think about automation, and it sounds scary because are you trying to replace me? And what? And um, as I said, I've worked in manufacturing. I've worked on that line. That's how I paid my way through college. 
Um, so I, I've seen the automation and what that does, and it does replace a lot of people. But what we're talking about here with care orchestration and automation is not about replacing people. It's about unburdening the team to free up their time to focus on the patient in front of them. And when you tell the story in that way, it really changes the perspective. But some of that is gaining trust. And that's as we as we work with customers, it's telling those customer stories. The story I told you about the organization who said, can you help us with the pre-surgery? Their goal is we have to find 40% efficiency or we're going to have to add more staff. And or we're going to, you know, we, we need to do this. And we help find them 60 60%, 60 plus percent. So it's real. And when you tell it that way, people go, whoa, that's amazing. But it's jumping that hurdle because there's a certain thing that goes off and you're having to hear automation and you think robot taking my place. And that's not at all what we're talking about. Yeah, no, kind of it as you're saying, it's, you know, you're freeing up your resources to be focused where they should be as opposed mm -hmm. to, you know, all these administrative or other or ministerial tasks yeah. that have kind of overtaken what people used to do. And it, you know, and arguably that kind of goes to a lot of the reports that talk about, you know, a lot of the administrative waste that occurs within healthcare, because mm -hmm. you're having to spend so much time on these things that, you know, I think, are, I mean, not only are you making a great case for it, you're just pointing out what, you know, arguably is kind of a common sense point about it, which is, you don't want to be doing this, like, let something come in, help you with it, as you said, unburden yourself. And then mm -hmm. you can go back to, you know, focusing on what you really want to be and, um, you know, should be focusing on. Absolutely. You summarize it up perfectly. So kind of how, you know, how much adoption have you seen so far? And where do you see opportunities to drive further, you know, inroads for this orchestration and automation within healthcare? You know, we've, um, we've worked, uh, we, we find that that intake process, when you talk about the procedural areas, it really is getting a lot of attention right now. And I think it's getting a lot of attention as we come out of the, the pandemic and that there's a lot of um, areas that are feeling the need to catch patients up, patients who didn't come in during the pandemic. So when you think about that um, colonoscopies and getting people caught up on that, there's um, it's how do we help people to get through that pre-procedure process much more quickly. So we're seeing a lot of adoption in the pre-surgery the pre-procedure areas where people are wanting to get those patients in, but how do we help them to do that in a more efficient and effective manner? But on the other hand, we're also we're working with a customer right now on just managing the inpatient interdisciplinary rounding process and making sure things get followed up so you don't go to the next day and things didn't get done and you didn't realize they get done, they didn't get done, but helping to really manage that orchestration amongst that team as well as we're seeing a lot of um, interest in the ambulatory world in the physician office. And when it's keeping track of when is the patient due, we're very, we're very reactive. Health systems are very reactive. We react to when the patient calls and wants an appointment. But imagine keeping track of when the patient's due and reaching out to them electro, um, uh, you know, with automation saying, Mrs. Smith, it's time for this. Let's bring you in. We expect that with our vets. <laughs> we expect that when we take, I mean, we're kind of these, we get a call from an animal hospital, so your, your, your animals do, and we don't think anything of it. It's, but again, what I would say is in health systems are very challenged. Okay, I'm going to stop that for a second. I'm going to leave the vet part out of that. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to sound like I'm comparing to animals. 
But in the ambulatory world, where we want to keep track of patients and when they're due for care, we're proactively pulling them in and managing their care so that we're filling their, we're, we're managing their gaps in care, making sure that that we're meeting their needs and supporting the teams to do that so that they don't have to keep track of those things. Using again, automation to support the team so that when the patient comes in, they're ready for their, they're ready for their visit. You have everything you need to do the visit. And then following up with the patient after the visit, whether that's making, um, through automation, making a referral to a care manager related to their diabetes or sending them educational materials or even keeping track of um, the patient even reporting on maybe their fasting blood sugars for the next month. It's, it's using automation to do that. Why does someone have to pick up the phone every day where we could send a message to the patient, they could enter something and it comes back to the practice. So I think what we're seeing is it's just an interesting time as we come out of the pandemic. We were short staffed going in, we're much shorter coming out. It's been a lot of healthcare workers who have opted out of it's time to retire. And so we find ourselves, I think this unique need to see how do we orchestrate kind of across all of our healthcare settings. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Tying it to the fact that there is that ongoing staffing shortage with really no line of sight to be able to fill in or even get us back to pre-pandemic levels of staffing. It's going to be more, even more important going forward to have appropriate tools and um, you know support structures in place that allow one person to do more with more impact. Yeah, it's funny. I I've implemented a lot of software over the years, and a lot of it was needed. I mean, we closed loop medication administration was a really important thing we needed to do to improve the safety of medication administration, prevent errors. But it didn't make it easier to pass meds because now I come in with my computer and I've got my wand and I've got my my locked med box and I'm doing it all in front of the patient. And it's it's made it much safer. It didn't make it easier to do. And no different than the EMR. The EMR, we, we all had to implement the electronic medical record, but that computer's actually become a physical barrier in some ways between the patient and the caregiver. When I was president of my medical group, one of the most common complaints I had was, Everybody's looking at the computer and they're not looking at me. And um, what we need to look at is, and I think that's what drew me to Lumion, was that it was a software that wasn't a physical barrier between the patient and the provider. It was about taking some of the barriers away. It was about taking some of the burdens away and, and getting that provider closer to the patient. And again, I think that's our opportunity right now, not introducing one more thing that I've got to manage, but actually taking things off my shoulders so I can manage the patient in front of me. Yeah, no, I, you said that very well, which is, you know, as you said, it's not just about improving a process or making something more efficient. You know, anything can do that, but if it's not doing it in a way that makes you want to use that tool mm -hmm. or solution or makes it easy to use the tool or solution, it's not going to happen. Um, so it's, you know, you can have the best thing in the world, but if you don't make it easy to get into it, then you don't have you know, the, a solution that's going to be workable. But you know, Cindy, as we're almost at the end of our time, I've got a final question, which is what has you most optimistic about the direction of the healthcare industry? Most optimistic. What makes me most optimistic, I think, is it's just the fact that people are really ready to try something different. So often over the years, I've heard people say, oh, we can't do that. 
We tried that before. That won't work. Oh, you don't understand. And what I see coming out of the pandemic and in the current environment is a hunger that people are ready. They're like, we, we can't keep doing it the way we've done it. And there's this openness that I haven't ever seen before in my career where people are like, what can we do different? How do we do this different? And I think it's an opportunity that um, will move us to a better future. But I think it took something really difficult to get us there because we are very vested in the way we've always done it. And that's just the history of healthcare and 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 we've we've built our infrastructure. We're very proud of it, but it's 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 time for us to think about how do we do things differently. And I think people are open to that for the first time in a in a much broader way. There's always been leaders who are open to it, but where you have really kind of the mass behind you saying it's time. And that makes me optimistic that it's time for real change. And and that's where to me the opportunity for care orchestration. And thinking about tools to support that is, um, it's kind of our time to do that. Yeah, no, I, I very much like that hopeful tone. But as I said, believe it or not, we are already out of time. I want to thank my guest, Cindy Gaines, for a great conversation today. Thank you for having me. And thank you to everyone listening. Keep the dialogue going and connect with me at hashtag H-C-D-E-J-U-R-E. I'm Matt Fisher. Until next time.